0: If you have your Bibles, please open to Second Kings chapter 19. A rally to prayer is what we are going to consider this evening. Isaiah 37, 2 Chronicles 32 both cover this story. They're parallel accounts. These events take place about 715, give or take, years before the coming of Christ. And we look now at verse 1 of 2 Kings 19. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of Yahweh. Now, of course, this just follows what happened in chapter 18, where Rabshakeh, the uh, commanding the commander in the field for the Assyrian army, had... Uh, Challenged and blasphemed the Jewish people, essentially saying, We're going to take your city from you. And when Hezekiah sends out his representatives, they engage Rebsheka. He is obnoxious, he is foul mouthed, and again, he has this this army that just can't be stopped. at least no one else has been able to stop them so far. And so this is the news that Hezekiah gets. he tears his clothes. And covered himself with sackcloth. There's two practices I'm glad we don't practice. Uh, But uh, this um, sackcloth represents outwardly the display of distress. Somebody is going through something very difficult. It says here at verse 1, And went into the house of Yahweh. Well, this is the kind of behavior that made this king, the man of God that he is, that we admire so much. If you're looking for... Names for boys, Hezekiah would be up on the list. Uh, I think most folks go with Josiah, (laughs) but uh, this king is right up there with him. Uh, Just a remarkable man. In verse two, it continues. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household of Shebna, uh, over the household Shebna the scribe and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz. Well, this is a national thing. This, would, this is not, these aren't local folks. These, this is the government, the highest echelons of the kingdom. Now, God will send Isaiah later to Eliakim, declare how faithful he is, and Yahweh will call Eliakim his servant, my servant. That's in Isaiah 22. In the same chapter, God will send Isaiah to this man, Shebna, declaring that he has self-exalting pride and that he is arrogant and God will deal with him. Shakespeare said, I charge thee, fling away ambition. By that sin fell the angels. Well, you know, Shakespeare is articulate. And he, you know, I'm not quoting him as though he's a Christian or as though it's scripture, but it is um, articulate. He's telling you what ambition can do. If, if not careful, if you have the opportunity Most of us don't get the opportunity that people up in the higher echelons of life get. The devil used self-ambition to trap Eve. You might not not want to hear it, but it's there. The promise of divine knowledge. God knows you're going to be like him and have the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what, again, you know, what do you mean? There's something to learn? And we all have to watch that we're not learning for the sake of learning learning to, to do the wrong thing with what we're learning, and become arrogant in the process. <clears throat> and Eve wanted that self-realization. She wanted to come into this divine knowledge. And uh, it, it got messy from there. Of course, Adam is no better, I'm not uh, picking on Eve at all, just telling it like it is, because God does. And the elders of the priest. Well, this is the leadership of public affairs and, and spiritual matters, the elders and the priests, the public affairs and the spiritual matters. And Hezekiah, as righteous of a king he is, he was too wise to dismiss the threat or succumb to it. He's going to stand up to this in spite of, in spite of all of the terror that surrounds it, that's surrounded, thus the tearing of the clothes, the sackcloth, the going to the house of, of the Lord. And so he immediately goes to the house of the Lord and sends messengers to the prophet Isaiah. And he wants Isaiah to pray to God. Psalm 63, verse 2. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And well, that psalm, of course, talks about the beauty of God's temple. Here... Hezekiah has a practical approach. He is going to the present where the presence of God is, as far as contact goes, direct contact, as close as they could get, and he is going to appeal to the Lord there. I often like coming into the sanctuary during the week and just sitting in one of the pews and, and just talking to the Lord. Not that this puts me any closer to God, but, um, you know, we are human and, and it certainly lends a certain ambiance at times. Uh, you know, just, could you pray on aisle three of Food Lion the way you could pray in certain other places? Uh, maybe if someone is chasing you. But anyway, um, the he's to the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah knows there's a national crisis. There's no way he's oblivious to this. The historian is, of course, putting in as many details as he can, without, without too much. And So they send to him, and we'll get to that in verse 4, to pray. The king himself also will continue to pray. That will come out in verse 15 with more details about that. Suppose Moses did not have righteous men around him to fight evil and the evil forces that press on us. What if it was just Moses and he had not Joshua to send against the Amalekites? He did not have the two men that accompanied him on the hill Exodus 17, verse 10, Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and the man named Hur, went up on the top of the hill. And we know they they were all part of the spiritual war that took place. And we do the same thing when Bad news comes our way. We, we, we know we call upon certain saints to join us in prayer. James five fourteen Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And so there's um, uh, instructions in both New Testament and Old Testament alike. Verse 3. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke. And blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. So this is what they're saying to the prophet Isaiah. And Hezekiah is admitting that Judah has guilt, that uh, there has been apostasy in the land. Uh, but he also is saying there's more to the story. And his reforms demonstrate that. Well, he tried to do his best he could to get this stuff out of Judah and so he's saying, yeah, we're not squeaky clean. We, we have sin. But we also are fighting sin. And he also tried to break free from being a subordinate to Assyria. And the Assyrians came against him and took cities, all the fortified cities in Judah. And Hezekiah paid them off. Well, this is the second invasion. And he's not paying them off this time. He, he is determined to fight them. Where he says this, here in verse 3, there was no strength. Uh, to bring forth, he's talking about the reforms. He he can't finish the righteous reforms if the Assyrians come and conquer the city. And so he's saying, and we're trying to do the right thing, but how can we finish cleaning up Israel if we're going to be judged like this? This is um, a model response against deadly intimidation. Remember, this is, uh, this is emotional. The sackcloth, they're going, this is very emotional for them. Their lives are at stake. Uh, the Assyrians are, go- are not going to treat Hezekiah well if they do conquer the city. But his optimism is not that blind, reckless kind. You know, sometimes, oh, God's going to do this, and God, we have no idea what God's going to do. Don't go writing checks that, you know, God is not endorsing. There's biblical example. His humble approach, he never becomes presumptuous. In fact, again, he's laying out the the, fact, the, the the reality of it all. That God has reason to not bless us. But he also says, but God also has reasons to bless us too. How, how is that stated in the New Testament? Where sin abounded, grace did much more. When we say sin abounded, we say, Lord, sin prevails over us. But grace much more. So his call to Isaiah here uh, to come pray shows where his confidence is, that it's going upward to God. Again, his metaphor of birth proves that he's a man of vision and he is longing for this victory over the apostasy and idolatry. He's longing for an idolatrous free Judah. Imagine if, you know, a pastor takes over a church that is just, you know, unbiblical. Again, you know, just doing stuff, and he takes the church. He wants to clean it up. He's got this heart to just bring the word in that times of refreshing may come. And, well, this is the case for this king who is a shepherd of the nation. Even the rabshaka pointed to Hezekiah's reforms, although he's ignorant about them and, and misapplied them. But he still is saying, hey, not Hezekiah taking down your altars and and so we know Hezekiah was very busy. He also fortified Jerusalem heavily for such a time as this. And where he mentions the remnant in verse four, we haven't gotten to that. When, when I do, you I won't have to recomment. When he mentions the remnant, he is uh, suggesting that he has been paying attention to Isaiah's sermons. Isaiah in chapter 10 mentioned the remnant of God's people, and the benefit of Isaiah in this king's life was not wasted. Do I have people in my life that have influenced me for righteousness? And if I have, am I going to waste that influence, or am I going to do something for the king with it, understanding that it is the king who brought them into my life? Because Isaiah is in the life of Hezekiah because God put him there. He had put Isaiah in the the path of uh, the father of Hezekiah, Ahaz, and he he wouldn't trust God. And the prophet gave him every chance. Isaiah had been in the presence of many kings. Hezekiah, he is the one that I think does best with the influence. Verse 4, He continues, "It may be that Yahweh, your God, will heal all the words here, all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which Yahweh, your God, has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left, and there's that remnant that I mentioned." Uh, it's connected to Isaiah's sermons. And I, I believe Hezekiah is very conscious of that. And so he says, maybe Yahweh is not finished judging Judah. See, he's not, again, not presumptuous. He is submitted to what God wants. And he knows that God has allowed the, the other cities to fall. When the, some of the other cities are, fall, are being attacked or invaded, we don't hear them calling out to Yahweh. Which I think is significant because I think if they were, it would have entered into the record. It would have been that important. And when we're not sure of God's will, we're at greater risk of becoming presumptuous. As I mentioned, well, God's going to do this. And, God's, and you have no, we have, sometimes we have no basis for that. I think most of the time we don't. We just go, oh, Lord, help. And we just pray and submit. Uh, in, Jesus said, Nevertheless, your will be done. Uh, giving us the example. They, those of Judah, in the kingdom, uh, God's chosen people, had chosen fictitious gods. Hezekiah never loses sight of that. He knows they fabricated images to worship. He knows that the worship of these false gods, these false religions, brought with it immorality, and death. And this is what the invention of gods will do. We're living in a time in history where we're seeing it all over the world. The immorality, uh, you know, the so-called transgender, which is just just abject perversity. Uh, the, the, uh, the murder of the unborn. We're seeing these things, and it's their religion behind it, whatever it is. If they consider themselves atheists, um, that controlling influence in your life is your religion, and in the day of Hezekiah, of course they were sacrificing human sacrifices of their own children, the Jewish people, and we scratch our heads at it. And We wonder how how could they ever have fallen for such a thing as we do today. Wonder how can pe- help people be so foolish because it is spiritual. Satan is very active; goes to and fro, has an army with him to do these things. And uh, the consequence of apostasy is laid out in Deuteronomy 31. The prophet and the king, they didn't lose sight of these things. They knew that if God wanted to judge them, then there was nothing they could do. But they're hoping that's not the case. He says, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God. So Hezekiah is, is asking God to deal with these people. S- Sennacherib is the Assyrian king. He's out conquering other fortified cities of Judah at this time. Again, he had done it, I don't know, 14 years earlier. Now he's back at it. And Hezekiah is saying, Lord, they're blasphemers, these people. I mean, I know we're fighting to to reform the nation, and these guys are just outright evil. And so he asks here in verse 4, and, and, we'll, re, and we'll rebuke the words of Yahweh, your God has heard. So what he's saying is, is, is Lord... You've heard what they've said about you. And he's appealing to the Lord with facts. <clears throat> and uh, therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And that's what he's asking Isaiah to do. So he's rallying the prophet for prayer. Well, Isaiah's already been in prayer and already has the answer. And, and that's gonna, we're going to get to that uh, in a minute. But there's no name it and claim it here. That's presumptuous sin. You know, I'm just going to name it and it's going to be mine. It's uh, misguided at, at the least and presumptuous at the at the most. We don't hear Hezekiah naming it and claiming it. Watch out for that. It's um, you can see how people get tripped up with these things. I think they. I don't think they wake up in the morning, the people, and say, "Today I'm going to blaspheme <laughs> and do something like this." They just follow their leaders. I think some of their le- leaders do wake up and say. You know, look out at the congregation and, and see dollar signs and tell the people what they think they want to hear. And the next thing you know, you've, you've got a whole movement on your hands. And it's very difficult to wrench someone free from something that they first believe. Well, verse 5, so the servants of the of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. And Isaiah said to them, thus you shall say to your master, thus says Yahweh, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. This is a good start. So Isaiah, you know, they come and tell him this, and Isaiah is saying, listen, I already have the message. I've been praying too. I don't need a king to tell me to pray. he got an army surrounding the city. Uh, he's not saying that, but that's that's what it comes out. Uh, it come, you, you can extract that from the story. Uh Again, Jerusalem, the only fortified city that had not yet been conquered by the Assyrians. Isaiah is not giving a personal opinion. He's not saying something. When we get to to Jeremiah, you get these false prophets, and they're doing that presumptuous stuff. They're saying, God's going to do this, and he's going to do that. Jeremiah said, no, he's not. We're going to be going into captivity. That's what God said. And, of course, they, they persecuted him for, for doing They do that today. If you tell some Christians, listen, that's kind of a kooky prayer. You have no right to pray like that. Oh, brother, you better jump in a foxhole. Uh, never mind what the Bible says. Their emotions have already decided the matter. Anyway, uh, he's ready with the reply. Well, news of Reb Shaka, his words circulated. They reached Isaiah too. And he already has been with the Lord and has the instruction. He says, do not be afraid of the words which you have heard. Well, that's what the king wants to hear. Consider the source. It's, it's the great prophet Isaiah. Well, if he says it, uh, then uh, that's going to be reassuring. Hezekiah is going to then, as leader of the people, take that and tell the people with it, uh, tell the people. Second Chronicles 37, as I mentioned, Isaiah 36, uh, 37 and, and Second Chronicles 32 have the parallel story. Here's what the king says to the people. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that is with him, for there are more with us than with him. Well, Isaiah told him first, don't be afraid. And that's all he needed. And now he's connecting this to, you know, Elisha. You know, those who are with us are more than against. Open the eyes of my servant. He's got it now. He is strong in the Lord at this point. And he's bringing the people with him. And they will not have to swing one sword. He continues in this sixth verse. Uh, which, uh, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed. Now, here's an interesting thing. Servants here in the Hebrew is a different word than servant in verse uh, 5. This one in verse 6. In verse 5, it is the typical word for a servant. But here, it is often translated a lad or a child. And uh, without insult. But the context here, contextually, this is disparaging. He's insulting. He's saying, those boys, those, those little foot boys of the king, those little lackeys of Assyria, that's how he's using it. I think the context makes it, that's why the, the, the historian changes words. If he wanted to say they're the servants of their king, he would have used the other Hebrew word. But no, he, he calls those boys over there. Uh, I kind of like those human touches when they, they're all over scriptures, and you got to, you know, dig for them. But when they when you get them, they glow, you know, it's like, yeah. That's what I would have said. I'd call them punks, too. But, you know, that's why God didn't let me write Scripture. You you would have been in the flesh. (laughs) It wouldn't have been Scripture. The writings of Rick, and they would be... Don't read that. Anyhow, um, God knew they were blasphemous. Verse 7, Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Uh, You know... God can lead us not into temptation, but He can also allow the wicked to be channeled into temptation. Just it's in Romans, it's other places, it's many places, but I'll just take the one that we might be most familiar with, Second Thessalonians. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Well early' because they didn't have the love for the truth. They want lies. Well, God's fine. You think lies are better than truth? here's your lies. Because I'm not going to let you run the insane asylum. You will think you're running it. This is the sovereignty of God. Uh, You are either going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve the enemy. But you will not be sovereign. He is and he alone. The influence upon them, uh, this extraordinary divine impulse or persuasion Uh, God is in control. That's what the prophet is is telling the king and the leaders who have come to him. These prophetic words came true. Sennacherib will hear of the defeat of his army, that we'll get to in verse 35, and return to Assyria. That will be the end of his Judean campaign. And there will be some interference by the Egypt-slash-Ethiopian kingdom, but they'll never really cross swords. I'll come back to that later. Um, He says here, And he shall hear a rumor, verse 7, and return to his own land. Rumor, I think, is an uh, unfortunate choice of words. Report would have been better Uh, because, you know, you hear a rumor, you think of an unsubstantiated report. Well, the reports he gets are substantiated. They're not, what? Really? They're like, oh, no. Uh, He's going to get the report that, well, the Ethiopian-Egyptian alliance is moving that way. That's one report he will get. But the main one that Isaiah is talking about will be, you just lost 185,000 troops in one night. You know, too, I I think uh, either they all died from acute food poisoning, or God just miraculously wiped them out. Either way, uh, that's the report that will return him to his land. We have other cases of this in Scripture, but uh, this, uh, that's for future kings, future other events. Here, with this uh, Assyrian army, it will will put an end to their invasion. Um, That it's an angelic slaughter. And he says, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. And that's a, a, a and, and by the way. So God is telling Isaiah these things. And then he gives Isaiah a little more, oh, and by the way. Because that doesn't happen for another 20 years or so. He, the king gets assassinated, Sennacherib. Um, it, but, you know, you just, you trust the prophet Isaiah. It turns out, right, we come back, we Christians look at this and say, look at that. If I were living then, I would be looking for this guy to die when he went back to Assyria. Would I say why well, Isaiah was wrong, even though Isaiah was right about the other stuff? Well, I would like to think, I would say, well, if Isaiah said it, being the prophet that he was, I'm going to, that's what I'm going to believe. Because we do this with Scripture. If the Scripture says it, if I don't understand it, I'm still going to side with the Scripture and not against it. Uh, very easy to say to God, you promised you know, and start quoting all these verses when the enemy rises like a flood, you know, and then you find out, you know, God is not answering the prayers you the way you thought. You know less God. I think God God could say without guilt, you know, if I just took you home to heaven right now, I wouldn't hear a squeak from you in the line of complaints. <laughs> so just trust me and and do your job. And we have to I think it is Very good to try to keep our faith basic to the Scripture. Otherwise, why bother? Why would you come out on a Wednesday night to hear someone talk to you about kings or some of the other books of the Bible unless there was a value to it? And God is the one that assigns the value. Well, verse 8, then the Rabshakeh. I always want to say that with music, you know, heavy bass or something. Uh, the Rab returned and found the King of Assyria warring against Libna for he heard that he that he had departed from Lachish. well there 's the use of the word report again heard and and it 's not a rumor it 's the same Hebrew um, so i don't again the translators are inconsistent at times but very You've got to be cautious in criticizing them because it's a monumental task and, and they've done very well. In the end, we have a trustworthy document. Just the, digger, the deeper you dig, the more things you you come up with and then you have to settle them. Then you, get set, you settle them and come back to, well, bottom line is it's, it's, it's correct. Technically, uh, rumor is a report. It's just used as an unsubstantiated report in, in, in our society as a rule. Well, um, Where are we? Uh, Again, here he says, Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. Well, this is, and Lachish, these are Judean territories, fortified cities. So Sennacherib's taking his forces to conquer them while Rabshakeh goes to Jerusalem. And it's all going to stop in a little while. Verse 9, And the king heard concerning Terheka king of Ethiopia, look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah saying, well, this uh, Terheka is also called the, an Egyptian king. And histor- history has both on him. Well, it's a sort of an Egyptian Ethiopian kingdom. They provided a balance of power. They were a, a big army. In one point in the old, in the kings, they have a million men on the battlefield that, that they can put on the battlefield. That's pretty significant. Even today, pretty hard for one side to put a million men. I think in the, in the Gulf Iraq War, we put four hundred thousand troops uh, into Iraq. Well, this was a time before, you know, CH fifty ones and troop transport ships and uh, this pretty pretty big force. So. Assyria would not take lightly any thought of this army coming in their direction. When he loses the hundred eighty-five thousand troops, he will have no—he he won't have the, the the force to stand against the Ethiopians, and he's going to leave. He won't have force to stand against the Jews. Uh, And that's not his whole army. Again, that 185,000, he still has a very big army. Even though he loses them, they're just not in that theater of operation. Um, So we have, again, two movements. The uh, report of the Ethiopian-Egyptian troops possibly coming to help Judah. And then the one we haven't gotten to yet, which is coming, he'll get the report that his troops have been wiped out. It says here at the bottom of verse 9, so he again sent messengers to Hezekiah. Um, These messengers are going to deliver a letter to the king. Uh, And now verse 10, thus you, you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So now we have again the voice of the devil through Rabshakeh. And he wants Jerusalem to fall. He's got a, like a, this, this this hatred for Jerusalem. Uh, he's probably already thinking of you know the statue they're going to build for him in downtown Nineveh once he conquers it. And because it's a relentlessness, they will be pulled away, his troops. But then they will come back, and when they come back, that's when they get slaughtered. So there's a lot of little twists and turns here, but. This is his response as he's as being pulled away. Uh, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah again, verse 10. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you. Well, who says that all the time? Satan. Whenever the pressure's on, really on. You know, don't let God tell you Jerusalem shall not be taken. That's what he's telling these people. Don't let yourselves trust your God because he cannot stop us. And he knew Isaiah told the king, Don't, don't fear this guy, because they've got spies, unfortunately, Jews passing on information. Verse 11 Look, Rabshakeh is still speaking. You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by utterly destroying them, and shall you be delivered? He said, Are you kidding me? Look at the facts and the stats. Everywhere we have gone, they have fallen. What, makes you, what gives you the audacity to suppose that somehow your prayers are going to be answered? They were praying too. Hezekiah will acknowledge the fact that they have been conquering all the places that they have invaded in his appeal to God. And in that appeal, he appeals to God to make new facts. And, and God is going to do that. And so this propaganda is your God is no better than anybody else's God, although the Assyrian God is superior. Well, we hear that today. People tell us, what makes you think Christianity is so good? How come the other people say, I don't know, it's almost boring to hear them say it. But we have to, uh, hopefully, if the Spirit leads, we can help them with that if they let us. But some people, they're, you know, they're just adamant. There's nothing you can say. Uh, the ground could, you could part the Red Sea. And he still will say, well, that's just a scientific thing. Mars must have been lined up with Saturn or something. And anyway, verse 12, he says, Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? And if you feel like you want to re- recite those nations, go ahead. Verse 13, Where is the king of Hamath? And then he names the other nations. And so, and these were Syrian. Uh, these are Rabshakeh is Assyrian. Syria is a separate kingdom at this time. Modern-day Iraq, that is ancient Assyria. Um, Nineveh is modern Mosul for, by the Tigris River. Anyway, uh, their gods were impotent against our god, is the meaning. And he insisted that prayer does not work, no matter the religion. And that is the voice of the devil. Verse 14. And Hezekiah received a letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of Yahweh and spread it before Yahweh. And Hezekiah prayed, verse 15, before Yahweh and said, O Yahweh God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Verse 16. Incline your ear, O Yahweh, to hear Open your eyes, O Yahweh, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. And so he takes, they read the letter to him, they give it to him, he takes that letter, and he takes it to God. And he says, here it is in writing. This is what they said about you and your people. This is what they're doing. And it, the king, is, his heart was always in the Lord's house. As in verse 1, initially he goes right to the Lord's house, and he, there he's inspired, you know, got to get Isaiah involved in this, and he sends to Isaiah. Something the other kings, not all of them, but most of them, refuse to do, all of them in the north. They just didn't want to hear the men of God. He talks about the mercy seat. He talks about the fact that we have a monotheistic triune God, as we, we, the trinity, the, you know, the Godhead, which distinguishes us from all the religions of the world. And the Jews were in habit of pointing out that Yahweh is the creator. Of everything you see, there's only him. And that, he makes it clear. There's no other gods. It all, you know, bogus. Can't help but love Hezekiah. In time of crisis, man, he's just leaning on his faith. And it, he does nothing else to win except pray. Well, he did fortify the city, but they never, you know, they never needed it. In fact, the Assyrians don't even get to put a siege mound against it, which is interesting because that tells us that their army was intending to do it, but was wiped out before it happened. Verse 17, Truly Yahweh, the, the kings of Assyria, have laid waste the nations and their lands. And he's acknowledging yeah, the, the facts. Verse 18, because he's going to talk about other facts. And have cast their gods into the fire, For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they destroyed them. Verse 19, Now therefore, O Yahweh, our God, I pray, save us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are Yahweh God, you alone. So, you know, again, he's a humble man. He's not saying, you have to save us. We're your people. I demand to be, you know. He is very, very careful how he phrases his words and presents his case to God. I think God wants us to articulate things. There are times, of course, when we're in heavy, you know, there are no words, there are groans and grunts, uh, even tongues. But uh, I think most of the time, God wants us to, to say, to learn how to talk to him. And I've found when you when you do this, you've got, you know, you want to say something to God and you feel the Lord said, now you know that's not right. And So you don't even say it. You say something better. Something true. Um, anyway, there's no denying the overthrow of the false gods. There's no denying that the vanquished northern kingdom, who would not heed the prophets, have perished. Uh, this made Hezekiah distinct among the kings. Verse 20, then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says Yahweh God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. Isaiah is always bringing good news, is he not? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Uh, You know, Isaiah said, A righteous man stops his ears bad news. I don't want to hear any more. I can't fix it. Stop pouring this out on me. It's dragging me down. Uh, I like good news. I love good news. (laughs) it's just hard to get sometimes. Well, uh, because you have prayed to me, he says in verse 20, against Sennacherib, king of Syria, I have heard you. What if he didn't pray to him? Well, we we have no doubt what would have happened. We just look at the northern kingdom. That's what would have happened. But God had a man on the throne that was righteous, verse 21. May that be said about our homes that God has a man, or, you know, and I don't mean male necessarily, but God has his people there who will call upon him. Verse 21, this is the word which Yahweh has spoken concerning him, the virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn, and the daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. So Isaiah said, this is what God says, that, She's thumbing her nose at you. Jerusalem is mocking you. That's the idea. The prophecy is in metaphor, <laughs> and he says this vulnerable little maiden, whom you've come to abuse, she's going to laugh in your face. And he declares that the chosen people are laughing at the blasphemous invader. This is the faith they have. This is, you know, this is kind of this is just the Isaiah the prophet on the authority of God, saying, we're not going to put up with this. Um, So she mocks you because her God is stronger than your little fake gods. And Isaiah wanted to assure the kingdom that the Lord was with them. Well, John the Apostle did the same thing. When the church was being invaded by Gnosticism, you know, the really smart guys, that were really deep thinkers and had really deep secret spiritual connections, they're still around. They just learned to be more sophisticated. That was the Gnostics. And they crept into the church and they did a lot of damage. And it's the fault of the people who listened to them over the apostles. Well, John says, these things I have written to you that you may believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You're trying to encourage him. He says, I want you to be sure of your salvation. Stop it with this. Am I sure? Is there better stuff out there? Anything that messes with blessed assurance is not from God. God wants his people to know he loves them. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, Jesus said. I mean, the thief on the cross. Christ didn't say, you know what, let's... Let's just talk about your messed up life and your ugly face. And, you know, she doesn't do anything like that. And yet we've got all these deep thinkers that come along and complicate the whole thing. Uh, I would love to tell somebody that you could be in paradise with the Lord today, you know, if they're on their deathbed. or And some of you have these experiences. You've led people to Christ or you know of stories of people leading people to Christ on their deathbeds. A deathbed confession is just as valuable to the one saved as the one who is just born in the house of righteousness and all their life knows the king. It's salvation. So, my point. Isaiah wanted to assure the people to build them up and we should want to do the same thing. But we can't do it by lying and and telling people false things, you know. Well, yeah, you know, you can be a Mormon and, and still, you know. No, you can't. And if there's anybody in heaven that was a Mormon, it's because the Lord knew a way around it, not us and, uh, and that, that he will not undo his word. but he's got moves that we, that are just beyond us. Abraham, you know, shall not the God of the universe do right? It just, it just it's so simple, so simple. God is always going to do right, and when you can't figure it out, he has. But we are responsible to adhering to the Scripture. And and that's how it goes. Verse 22. Whom you have reproached and blasphemed, against whom you have raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high, against the Holy One of Israel. Well, Assyria would have scoffed at this until it was too late, and the angel wiped out their troops. God is trying to give all who are listening a theological education that they will not perish if they trust the Lord. But this phrase, the Holy One of Israel, um, this is peculiar to Isaiah. Hezekiah is using it. That means, again, he's been listening to the prophet, he has come under his pastorate. Even though he is king, When it comes to spiritual matters, as men go, Isaiah is king. And you see it coming out of his life. And here's an example of of the use of this phrase, the Holy One of Israel. 2 Kings is found once, right here. In the Psalms, it's found three times. Jeremiah uses it twice. Isaiah uses it 25 times. This is his, you know, he's just known to say this. And Hezekiah is using it. in in his prayer with God. And I think it's just a a beautiful thing. So um, here he is. This is the word of the Lord which is spoken concerning the virgin daughter. Hezekiah is listening to this, taking it all in. Verse 23. By your messengers you have reproached Yahweh and said, by the multitude of of my chariots, I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down as tall cedars as choice cypress trees. I will enter the extremity of its borders to its fruitful forests. And so this was the plan of invasion, to strip the land of whatever resources they needed uh, to feed their army, to build their war machines. Um, Verse 24, I have dug and drunk strange water, uh, and with the soles of my feet, I have dried up all their brooks of defense. And so here in this discourse, uh, what we're hearing is the, the boast of the Assyrian army. They are being personified in their monologue to expose their heart. Verse 25, did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it? Now I have brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps and ruins, and so the dialogue moves back and forth you 've got to kind of follow it by the context and uh, just pay attention to it verse twenty six therefore, their inhabitants had little power, they were dismayed and confounded. they were as the grass of the field and the green herb as the grass on the housetops, and the grain blighted before it is grown, so he 's getting a little wordy here if you ask me, but <laughs> Yahweh is sovereign, and God sent the Jews against the Canaanites as his instrument of judgment. Likewise, God sent the Assyrians, the wicked Assyrians, against the wicked people of other kingdoms, as well as the northern kingdom, to be an instrument of judgment. Isaiah chapter 10, woe to Syria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. And so Isaiah is saying, yeah, God used the Assyrians as an instrument of judgment, but but Assyria is going to get judged too, because they were still wicked. Same thing will happen with Babylon. Uh, God is sovereign for his purposes. But not against Judah. They're not going to be an instrument of of judgment against Judah. The reference to the housetops being green, uh, the, the foliage on the housetops, is because they were organically constructed. They would put Wooden beams up, and then they pile up uh, brushwood and mud. And as you know, the wind blew, and the seeds landed up there on the mud and everything, you would get grass growing, not, not nice lawn grass or anything like that. But that's what he's in case you're wondering, well, my house, you know, if I get green growing up on my house, I need some sunshine because that's not good. I've got moisture problems. <clears throat> Someone might be sitting here. Hmm, is that what that is? Verse 27. But I know your dwelling place, you're going out and you're coming in, and your rage against me. So God says, I see it, and I'm holding you accountable. Incidentally, if God judges every idle word, what does he do with every anointed prayer? I like that thought. God says to the, those who are not saved, look, you know, the little idle things, little remarks, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, those little things that you think are little cheap shots. I'm remembering them. Well, what about when the righteous make prayers? whether they're granted or not. I think the Lord remembers them too. We see that in Revelation where we have the incense that contains the prayers of the saints. Uh, I find comfort in that. It means God is on the ball. He is there and... We have to learn that that is good enough. If Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and he does say that, that does not mean he is obligated to dodge in front of every bullet or frying pan thrown at us. And you say, well, then what's the comfort of him being there? Well, you've got God's presence with you because you belong to him, and you have an eternal future that is unmatched. And your knowledge of his presence there is an indication that you are saved. More information against hell's propaganda. Verse 19, listen to the language here. Because you rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears. (coughs) Therefore, I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. Well, now that's how you treat an enemy. I mean, God says that he will steer him as he steers a beast. And the Assyrians did this to people they conquered. They would, you know, put hooks in their jaws and lead them on. Second Chronicles 32. Then Yahweh sent an angel to cut down every mighty man of valor, leader, and captain in the camp of the king of Assyria, so he returned shamefaced to his own land. Uh, so it's not going to be this glorious retreat. But uh, your rage, your tumult, my ears, my hook, your nose, my bridle, your lips—God is uh, on the ball here. Uh, verse twenty-nine. I don't know how it feels out there for you listening to me read all this. Um, I I enjoy it, except the names. But I hope you, you, you're you listening, especially you youngins, and not, you know, thinking about what you're going to eat when you get home. Sharpen the mind. Let it work a little bit. Don't let it get weary without protest. Verse 29, this shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year, such as grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap. Plant vineyards and eat the fruit of of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of, verse 31, Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts, will do this. And so there's the promise that there's going to be an abrupt change. A return to normalcy, but it will be gradual. And by the third year, they would recover. And the population would again thrive. Verse 32. And Well, if you're living there, imagine if you were in in London in in the 1940s being bombed by the Nazis. And some prophet comes along and says, don't worry. Five years from now, we will be back to where we were. Uh, If you believe that prophet, you would be encouraged. Uh, So this is what is uh, happening Imagine if a prophet came and said, Listen, don't worry, by the next general election, we'll be rid of these people. Uh, we'd be encouraged. Hopefully, that's prophetic. <laughs> uh, Therefore, thus says Yahweh concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. Oh, you've got to be saying to this, Boy, this is a lot. You sure I say, you sure God's going to do all this? Uh, he's not even going to put a siege mound against us, which was routine. Verse 33, by the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, says Yahweh. Now, what would you have done if this happened and you, um, you didn't believe it, and then it happened? Yeah, you'd have to reevaluate your faith for sure. These are promises to reinforce the people. Uh, again, that they didn't build the siege mounds indicates their army was destroyed before they could get it done. That would have been very shocking because, again, that was standard. You want to conquer a city? Put a siege around it so nobody can get in or out, and they'll starve to death. Or they'll surrender. Verse 34, For I will defend this city, save it, for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Well, the Messianic line and the covenant and its promises would not be Stopped by any human force. Uh, verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night. That an angel of Yahweh. Went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians. 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning. There they were. Corpses all dead. Well when they found it. They didn't know how many. They just knew it was an army of dead men. This record would be settled later. They'd find out the Assyrians would like to try to cover the story up, but it would leak out. Uh, There are times that the angel of Yahweh, when that phrase comes to us in Scripture, is, of course, Yahweh in human form. Yahweh himself, for instance, when he shows up in the book of Judges a few times, or when he shows up to Abraham. At other times, the angel appears distinct from Yahweh. It is not him. We get that in, angel, uh, in Exodus when the Lord said, I will send my angel with you. And Moses says, oh, objection. If you don't go, the angel's not good enough. So you got again, the context will, will answer it for you. It will make it very clear. And we understand context, uh, even apart from Scripture. we run on of time, won't go into that, but have in the past. So um, here, Yahweh appears Um, an angelic, well, sends an angelic being to do his work. This um, reminds us of the lepers in Samaria when they came into the camp and the armies fled. But also Exodus 1430, when the Pharaoh's army was wiped out. So Yahweh saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Oh, man, what a sight. What a, you know, it was, part of it's horrific. The other part is, man, that would have been us if they had caught us. We, they'd see us dead. Verse 36. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. An understatement. So he returned shamefaced to his own land, as uh, the Chronicles tells us. Nineveh, again, on the east bank of the Tigris River, modern Iraq, the city of Mosul. Verse 37, now it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the temple in Nishrak his god, in the temple of Nishraq, his god, that his sons, and you can struggle with their names, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then, that guy, his son, reigned in his place. So, um, the twenty-year gap, when it says, uh, "and it came to pass," and that's what the Bible does. Those those little shots in there, you know, it came to pass. That's twenty years. Sometimes there's even more. Um, the irony: men go to the temples for sanctuary, and he went to the sanctuary to the sanctuary to the temple. For, you know, to be safe with his God and his own children. Killing me, yish. Then, well, let's pray. How, Father, uh, may we never uh, separate your presence from the facts of history, whether it is in Scripture or in eternity. We Christians know that no matter how good or bad you are at something in this life, in the end, it will come down to that relationship with Jesus Christ. And may we never be weakened because we are strengthened by these truths. They are glorious. May you get us home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.